John chapter 9, verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. When I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So this man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened? They demanded. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. Verse 13. They brought the Pharisees to the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes. The man replied, And I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it then now that he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But now... But how, he can now, but how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been born blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, that you didn't, but you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are the disciple of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. 
Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. About a year and a half ago, a girl called Ali from Armidale, a university student, wrote down her testimony and, and she told me that she'd written it down. So I asked her if I uh, might be able to read it. And so uh, she let me and as I read it, I was amazed, absolutely amazed at the, the many twists and crazy turns along the way that had seen her go from someone who came to uni not knowing Jesus at all to someone who fully and unreservedly believed in him. Now I'd known her over that whole time that she'd been coming uh, to university um, but I, I didn't realise that so many people in so many different places at different times had been used by God to point her to Jesus. Reading her testimony, I wasn't a factor in her coming to know Jesus at all. And when she finally reached the point where she unreservedly gave herself to Christ, it, was, it wasn't actually halfway through a sermon or anything like that. It was after a movie at someone's place and she literally wrote, it was as she drove home that night, halfway down Jesse Street, I became a Christian. Now, her story illustrates what every story of someone coming to know Christ illustrates for me. It's only by a miracle that anyone can see Jesus right and believe in him. That's what we see in today's passage. We follow a man who comes to see Jesus and to believe in him, and it's a miracle. And Jesus himself tells us this. He tells us that he's doing God's work to bring people to belief. He opens the eyes of the blind. There are three things in today's passage that I want us to see, and I reckon you actually see all three of these in every story of someone who comes to know Jesus. You see them up on the screen. Belief is critically important. Belief progresses. And belief is humble. They're the three things we're going to look at today. But first, belief is critically important. Seeing Jesus right and responding by believing is the most important thing that can ever happen to anyone. And this comes up early in the story. Jesus and his disciples pass a blind man and somehow the disciples seem to know he's been blind from birth and that concerns them. It's a, it's a theological concern for them and they want a nice, neat theological answer. They give Jesus their problem in verse 2. You can see it up there. They say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? See, they think that the direct cause of things like blindness and disability is a person's sin. 
But the theological tension that, that they're experiencing is that this guy was born blind. So they're wondering if he, he did something wrong before he was even born, or if maybe they should blame his parents. It's a pretty horrible discussion to be having, especially since this blind man is probably able to hear what they're saying. But Jesus blows this kind of miserable human logic out of the water. Look at what he says in verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. And before we go on and look at the rest of that, just notice what this means. There's not a direct cause and effect relationship between what we do against God and what he does to us. God doesn't punish every sin now. And it's not right to try to link the, the suffering that we see around us to God's payback. Now generally, I don't think we're as crude as the disciples. We don't do this to other people. But in our own secret thoughts, we can sometimes do it to ourselves, can't we? When things go wrong in our lives, we, we ask, why are you doing this to me, God? But then we go on to presume the answer sometimes. It must be because I, what, failed to bring the kids up to know God, sinned sexually sometime in the past. Beware always trying to have neat theological answers. Some things aren't neat. And we can actually cause great harm to each other and to ourselves pretending they are using this kind of simplistic human logic. Jesus resolves attention for us here. But if you looked carefully, you would have noticed that he creates another. Look at it in verse 3. He says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God may, might be displayed in his life. The man's blindness has happened for a reason. God has, at the very least, allowed it to happen so that his works will be seen in his life. Now, there's no neat, tidy answer for why we suffer here. But there is some comfort if you, if you look at it. Because Jesus says our suffering has meaning. God works even in our suffering. It's, it's not a barrier to him to bring about something good. But perhaps this sounds to us like this blind man is just an assistant in a magic act. You know, he sits there in misery for 20, 30, 50 years just so Jesus can happen past and, and wow us with his special sight-restoring trick. If that's how we take it, then we've misunderstood what God's doing here. This man doesn't just get healed and then fade into the background, does he? God works, God's works in his life, they go far beyond that. Now, if you stop and think about it, amazingly, we're still feeling the impact of God's work in his life, even here right now. But if we're going to understand what's going on here, we need to understand exactly what is the work of God that's displayed in this man's life. On the one hand, it seems obvious. A man born blind is healed. That shows God's amazing power. 
But that's not where Jesus sees God's amazing power. It's not where he sees God's main work. Look at verse 4 with me. Jesus says, as long as it is today, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. In other words, this entire miracle is a sign that reveals something about who Jesus is and what he does. If we understand this sign correctly, we'll see the spiritual reality that it points to, that Jesus is the light of the world and he enables people to see who he is. At the end of this sign, Jesus tells us openly how we're supposed to interpret it. At verse 39, he says, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Jesus is not really talking about physical blindness and physical sight here. Even the the Pharisees recognize that. He's talking about spiritual blindness and spiritual sight. The powerful work of God that Jesus does in this blind man's life, it's not just opening his physical eyes, but opening his spiritual eyes so that this man could see who Jesus truly is and believe in him. There's no greater work that Jesus could have done for this man. And that brings us back to our first point again. Belief is critically important. Seeing Jesus right and and responding by believing is the most important thing that could ever happen to anyone. And it will only happen to us if Jesus makes it happen. Belief is not important because it gives me a holistic kind of fulfilled life. Belief in Jesus is critical because it's the only thing that will save me from an eternity in hell. It's the only thing that will enable us to cross over from death to life. If we grasp the significance of belief right, we'll see that it'd be worth being blind for an entire lifetime if that would somehow help us believe in Jesus. If we had to choose between giving up our sight or giving up our belief in Jesus. If we understand how critical belief is, we'd choose in an instant to give up our sight. In this story today, we see Jesus bring this man to a point where he believes in him. But it doesn't happen all at once, does it? And and this is our next point. Belief progresses. Seeing Jesus right and, and responding by believing, it's a response that grows. And we see the start of the blind man's belief in verse 6. You can see it up on the screen. Having said that he's the light of the world, Jesus spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, it was was pretty confronting, actually, seeing Meredith up there doing doing that. Um, It really brought home the kind of um, power, I guess, of what Jesus does with, with the dirt and the spit. Why does he do that? Why does he use dirt and spit? And then why tell him to go and wash in a, in a place that was probably a bit of a trip away 
and down a flight of steps. Why not just heal him then and there? I've got a couple of slides. You can see up there, the, um, this is sort of a reconstruction of Jerusalem. And up the top in that red ring is probably somewhere round about where he was healed. And then that bottom red ring is where the pool of Siloam was. So just imagine being blind and sort of making your way, stumbling down to there. There's another picture here. Whoops, go back. That's actually the pool of Siloam that they've only found relatively recently. Um, There was a higher sort of pool, but this one was buried even deeper. They've only just dug it up and you can see the steps going down. And that's just one corner of the pool that's been uh, re-dug up. I mean, archaeology just time and time again reinforces what we are reading in the Bible, that what we're reading here is actually history. But back to our passage. What's with the dirt? Maybe the dirt is pointing to Jesus creating sight, like Adam was created out of dirt. This is Jesus kind of recreating. Maybe the washing was pointing to our need to be washed from sin. It's, it's hard to say. But definitely, this would have been a stretching moment for this man's belief in Jesus. If I was blind and someone I didn't know really well made mud out of spit and rubbed it on my eyes and sent me to clamber down lanes and steps to a pool to wash, I don't know how I'd respond. Angry? Confused? Embarrassed? Jesus stretches this man's belief. And in verse 7, we see that the blind man takes those first stumbling steps of belief because he does what Jesus says and came home seeing. But his belief's very small. He knows Jesus healed him, but he doesn't really know or believe much else about him. But as he's interrogated by the Pharisees, we see his belief in Jesus grow. As Meredith said for us, the Pharisees can't handle that Jesus is healing on the Sabbath. We see it in verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. He doesn't work the way that they think he should, and so they they just write him off. But some of them say, How can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. They're getting nowhere, the Pharisees. They can't make sense of the situation. And so in desperation for them, they ask the blind man himself who he thinks Jesus is. And look at his reply in verse 17. He is a prophet. Previously, he simply called him the man Jesus. Now he calls him a prophet. His belief has progressed. This is completely unacceptable to the Pharisees, so that they come up with an alternative solution. Maybe the miracle never actually happened. But they interrogate the blind man's parents and they abandon that theory. The Pharisees are getting nowhere. There's, there's actually nothing genuine about this inquisition. It's already been decided that Jesus isn't the Christ. It's even already decided that followers of him should be persecuted. They refuse to see where the signs are pointing, but nevertheless, they keep banging their heads against the same wall and they summon the blind man again. And so they say in verse 24, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. They think they know a lot. And what they think they know blinds them from the obvious. But this is not the case for the blind man. We see his belief at this point in Jesus take another step. 
Verse 26. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Now, I love this. Is he being naive here? Or, as I like to think, sarcastic here? But he hits the nail on the head either way. The obvious response the Pharisees should have had to Jesus is to want to be his disciples. To say to him, where have I got my understanding about the Sabbath wrong? What, what, what am I, where am I going wrong in my thinking? But instead they miss the signs and they miss the Lord of the Sabbath. But the blind man, he's really starting to see the signs now. And maybe the blindness of the Pharisees is actually helping him. Because did you notice what he said? Do you want to become his disciples too? Now he calls himself a disciple of Jesus. As you can imagine, the Pharisees don't really like the idea of being Jesus' disciples. So look at their reaction in verse 28. Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. Again, we see their blindness, and the blind man is starting to see it too now. Verse 30, the man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. See, he sees that this man is from God. And don't forget, this is a man born blind. He's, he's been a beggar his life. He can't, can't read. He's not highly educated like some of these Pharisees. But that doesn't stop him from seeing what they should have seen. He puts them to shame because he sees the obvious. And they refuse to see it. The Pharisees at this point resort to the best tactic that they've got left. They play the man. They've lost the argument, so they go after him at a personal level. It's what politicians do all the time. You see it in verse 34. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Now, it's ironic, isn't it? Why do the Pharisees write him off? Because he was steeped in sin at birth the very thing that Jesus said wasn't the case when Jesus hears that they've thrown him out of the synagogue he takes the opportunity to progress his belief in him even more look at verse 35 when Jesus found him he said do you believe in the son of man who is he sir the man asked tell me so that I may believe in him Jesus said You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. This is the first time the blind man has ever physically seen Jesus. But it's also the first time the blind man has ever spiritually seen Jesus for who he really is. Look at verse 38. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Do you see where the works of God in this man's life have taken him? From blind and begging 
to having enough belief to stumble down to the pool to wash, to believing Jesus is a prophet, seeing himself as a disciple, believing Jesus was sent from God, and finally to worshipping him. Jesus has worked a miracle. He has opened this man's eyes to see who he really is. It's amazing. But did you notice who Jesus says does the works of God back in verse 4, right back at the beginning? Did you notice that? He says, we must do the works of him who sent me. The disciples are a part of his work of opening blind eyes. And so are we. Now, he's not telling us to go putting mud and spit on people's eyes here. Jesus is saying that we share in God's work of opening people's eyes to see who Jesus is. And it might happen over a day or decades. It might happen when we're deliberate or over random conversations. But through us, God makes it happen. What a privilege that is to be involved in seeing people's belief progress, whether it's those first stumbling steps or whether it's at that point where they stand alongside the blind man and see Jesus for who he really is and worship him. I reckon this is encouraging that God uses us and that belief often progresses, God's work often takes a long time. It means that we can be involved in small ways at different times. We don't have to harass people with two ways to live then and there right in that moment. I reckon uh, it's, a, it's a good point just to stop and think and take encouragement that the little things we do, God can use. We should be spending time with people who don't know Jesus yet. And I know for a lot of us, that's the first step we need to take, just weekly spending time with unbelievers. But then we should just try as the next step to have a conversation with them about something that actually matters beyond the weather or football or whatever it is. And then another step that we can take once we've done those things is to actually try and have a conversation about God and see where God takes that. Hopefully, eventually, he'll give us the opportunity to be at that point where they do stand alongside the blind man and worship Jesus. Let's be a church that actually embraces God's work, that fully gives ourselves to get involved in in being used by God to help people see who Jesus is. We're involved in doing God's work when we point people to see who Jesus is. But let's never forget at the same time that it's his work. And that really brings us to our final point. Belief is humble. Seeing who Jesus is and responding in belief is about absolute humility. Look again at verse 39. Jesus says, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. The blind only see because they're made to see by Jesus. But those who think they already see remain blind. And the Pharisees know that Jesus is talking about them. And so they say in verse 40, what? Are we blind too? And Jesus says to them in verse 41, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. There's a a really important point here that's 
just so easy to miss. It's dangerous being blind. And it's even more dangerous not realising that you're blind. But here's the point that's easy to miss. We actually all think we see, don't we? When you look at that. Atheists, Muslims, religious people, Christians, we all think we see. All of us here today, we think we see. But can we? This is the real question, isn't it? The real question is, how can we know we see? And this is where humility comes in. Not because we can't really know, so we need to be humble. That's what the world would want to tell us. That's not, that's not where humility comes in. Jesus says we can know we see when we know where our belief rests. It doesn't rest in ourselves It's not in our logic. It's not even in our experiences. True belief rests in the person and work of Jesus. In other words, true belief is completely humble. We know that in and of ourselves, we're blind. We haven't come to Jesus because we followed the trail of logic and came up with the conclusion. We've come to Jesus Because he has opened our blind eyes and caused us to see and believe in him. There's nothing within us that sees. Our belief rests on God himself. You see, it's not the Pharisees' sin that makes them lost. It's their pride. It's their refusal of grace. There's no cure for those who reject the only cure. No hope for those who are wise in their own eyes. People, of course, tell us that it's arrogant to be a Christian, to claim that we see and to claim that everyone else is blind. It does sound arrogant, doesn't it, on the surface? But it's not. Because we claim to be the blind who only see because of Jesus. And should our eyes be taken off Jesus, we know that we'll be blind again. Arrogance would be for us to claim that we see because of something within us. Our superior logic or experiences or superior tradition or ethic. Arrogance would be for us to think that we can take our eyes off Jesus and keep seeing. Now, we're only here today because God has shown us that we're blind without Jesus. But maybe you haven't seen that yet. And maybe it sounds like I'm just saying, just have blind belief. It's not like that. I'm not saying that logic and experience don't back up belief. They do. What I'm saying is that belief doesn't rest on those things. Belief rests on encountering God. Because God's a person. And like all people, when you meet them, you know you have. You don't take samples from a person to get analyzed or you don't ask them to philosophically prove themselves God is a person that you meet in his word and when you've met him you know you have and he changes your life he opens eyes that were blind to him if you don't know him yet read his word to you read it with someone maybe who brought you along today or read it with me 
and expect to encounter God. I wanted us to see three things today. Belief in Jesus is critical. Is it for you? If it's just important but not absolutely critical, then something's wrong. Come and talk to me about it. And I want us to see that belief progresses, that we have the privilege of being involved in God's work and pointing people to Jesus. If you're not involved in that, come and talk to me and, and we can think about where you can get involved. And finally, I wanted us to see that belief in Jesus is humble. Look at us. We only see because Jesus has made us see. Let's be humble with each other. Let's be humble with people who don't yet believe. We're absolutely dependent on Jesus. And we're nothing without him. We're blind without him. A guy called D.T. Niles puts it another way using another metaphor. He says, Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have opened our eyes, not because of anything within us that makes us worthy of that or has assisted you in that. Lord, we know that it is entirely your work that you have brought us to see just how spectacular Christ is and how he is worthy of our complete worship. Lord, help us to recognize just how critical belief in him is. Keep our belief in him strong, we ask. Lord, we recognize that belief progresses for so many people that you do your work in people's lives often over years and decades and we thank you lord for the way that we are included in your work of pointing people to jesus help us to embrace that with joy and enthusiasm give us opportunities give us patience and give us love we pray and finally lord help us to always remember that true belief is humble that we need Jesus, that we don't see because of anything within us, but because of his work upon us. Lord, we thank you that you have opened our eyes. Help us to always keep them fixed on Jesus, we pray. Amen.